So Titus chapter 3 this morning, and a review of where we've been in Titus. We've seen um, in the book of Titus the basics for the church. So Paul we begins by looking at Paul's mission and the proclaiming of the gospel, the mission and the message and the man. Um, we've seen uh, the the way the church should be ordered and structured, the commitment to sound doctrine, the commitment to qualified leaders. And we're ending now this whole series with the last. Um, we saw last week, we saw the, the guilt, grace, uh, and good works grid the last two weeks. This week, we are looking at part eight, and that is guard against division guard against division and just an admission here an admission here i lost my sermon notes i don't have any sermon notes here if anybody has seen those if anyone is pulling a the end of pastor appreciation month prank on the pastor <laughs> you could give those back haha it's funny um, no, I, I think I think I may have left these at, at home. And so um, so I'm going to do the best that I possibly can and hopefully not struggle through uh, through this at all. And so um, but we are looking today at the last couple of verses or near the end of the chapter and near the end of the letter. And um, so I want us to read verses eight through the end eight through the end, but our teaching is going to focus on just three of those verses, nine, 10, and 11. So if you'll follow along with me as I read Titus chapter three, verses eight through the end of the, the letter. This saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send... Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you, Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And this is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, um, having uh, studied and thought through this passage over this many weeks, and we come now to the end of this letter, um, we ask, as we always do, that you would teach us through it, that you would make these words spring from this page and not only enter our eyes, but enter our hearts and help us to take seriously uh, what your word calls us to do as faithful believers 
in your son Jesus. We ask that you would do that in Christ's mighty and powerful name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So here is the last church basic. Okay, so we saw about the importance of looking through a, a gospel grid. We talked about the importance of good works for the church. We've talked about the importance of uh, knowing what the mission of the church is, having qualified elders in the church, the importance of sound doctrine. And lastly, kind of as the capstone for all of this that Paul comes to at the end of this letter is the vital importance on guarding against division in the church. Guarding against division in the church. And how do we get this? We get this from uh, especially verses 9 through 11. And so I want to look at uh, those couple of verses. We have three points today. And the first point is to avoid. How do we guard against division? Well, the first thing we do is we avoid foolish fights. Avoid foolish fights. Verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law okay now what are these things here these four things that paul talks about foolish controversies genealogies dissensions quarrels about the law perhaps this is what we've seen in many places where you had some some jewish um Judaizers that were coming into the church. We saw this in many of, of Paul's letters where Judaizers were coming into the church and were applauding them for accepting Jesus, but then saying, good, you've made a good first step. Now you need to do all of these other things, other these works of the law, like circumcision and those sorts of things. I think that's what Paul is referring to here in these verses when he talks about Avoiding these foolish genealogies. Notice Second Timothy chapter uh, two. If you would turn back a little way, Second Timothy chapter two, verses verse sixteen. You had a very similar situation that happens uh, with Timothy and the church that he was overseeing in in Ephesus, where he says basically a very similar passage here in verse sixteen. Let me back up to verse 15. Verse 15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who need, uh, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So avoid foolish fights and foolish controversies. Now, we've already been through this numerous times about the importance of of sound doctrine and refuting the false teachers paul said that at the very beginning of chapter uh, said that in the very beginning of this letter in chapter 1 verse 9 talking about the qualified uh, elder is to hold firmly to the trustworthy word of thought so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine but then there's the other side of that coin and also to rebuke those who contradict it here in chapter three he's saying there's going to come to a point where somebody is just going to engage in constant division constant debate constant arguing 
over things that are actually of no consequence. Or they might be things of, of consequence and they just refuse to listen or refuse to be corrected. They refuse to see what the truth is. And so Paul's instruction to Titus here is avoid engaging in these sorts of foolish fights. Now, in today's social media age, how many of you have posted something and then all of a sudden that distant relative cousin so-and-so jumped on there and had an entire diatribe against something that you had said? Anybody? This happened? A few? Handful? A couple? I think that's a pretty good modern day illustration of of this type of thing that happens. You have some that come we're coming into the church and raising up these issues and Paul calls them these are just foolish controversies. These matters are have either been resolved or they they shouldn't be uh, something that should be worth pursuing. Like genealogies. I'm not really even sure what he's referencing here, but perhaps there's certain emphasis was placed in somebody's heritage or their line or their race or something like that. Paul says, just avoid these things. And here's the reason why. He says, for they're unprofitable and worthless. It does nothing for building up the church. So guard against division in the church by avoiding these sorts of foolish fights. So avoid foolish fights. And then second, avoid Factuous frauds. Did I say that right? Factuous? I kind of liked that word. And I have to alliterate, you know, like, like I do, right? So factuous, meaning divisive, creating factions, okay? In verse 9, he's talking about the fights themselves. In verses 10 and 11, he's now talking about the individuals, the persons, in 9, he warns about the foolish frauds or, or foolish fights. In 10 and 11, he warns about the factuous frauds that you need to be uh, careful of and what to do with them. Verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Pretty strong words there. Paul's advice to, to Titus here is, yes, you can engage and hopefully you can correct and hopefully you can uh, cause him to reform his views or his ideas, prove it from, from God's word. But if it comes to be a repeated issue over the same kinds of things, he says, warn him, warn him a second time. And if he continues to do those things, have nothing more to do with him. And these strong words in verse 11, warped and sinful is that is the description he uses for that kind of person who's constantly working to create fiction, friction, uh, division, divisiveness in a church community. He's self-condemned. And so I think looking at these together, we come to our third point, the, the importance of guarding the unity of the church. Numerous passages speak about 
the importance of unity in the church. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers are dwelling together in unity. Paul often ends some of his letters by talking about uh, how important it is for there to be uh, people to be of one mind, for there to be peace. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with any with everyone. And Jesus himself had said that one of the characteristic traits of being his follower is that you would love one another. New commandment I have given to you that you would love one another. And that the world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. New Testament's filled filled with exhortations to the church to fight for, to guard and protect unity. Because knowing our sinful hearts and our, and our sinful natures, um, knowing how easy it is for division to kind of crop up and to pull us apart and how Satan will use that to, to tear apart a church community, our bond together is so Vitally important. So, but here's a couple of things to to note about the importance of unity. Okay? And that is this. The unity of the church is connected to the purity of the church. The unity of a church is connected to the purity of the church. And this is true in at least a couple of areas. First of all, to the doctrinal purity of the church. In the middle of all of these exhortations or in mind of all of these exhortations in the New Testament about unity and peace and harmony in the church, that at no point is there to be unity or peace or harmony at the expense of the church's purity especially their doctrinal purity. You are in no way to compromise on the doctrines, the clear doctrines of Scripture, the teaching of the Bible for the sake of unity. Unfortunately, today, there is a great deal of division in the church, especially here in in this country, And over recent years, because of the vastly different understandings about what the the scripture teaches. There are debatable passages. There are things that we can agree to disagree on, right? There, uh, there's things that are kind of on the periphery that we could say, you know what? It's this group of people believe this sort of thing about uh, baptism, for instance, and this other group of people believe this sort of thing on the uh, on baptism. But that is a matter over which they can disagree because they hold some of the essential and vital doctrinal things in common, such as the nature of who God is, the, the Trinity, the deity of, of Christ, the inspiration of the scriptures. There's there's those core things they might have, but it's the peripheral things. 
hey, we just maybe have some disagreements on and maybe we can even kind of jab at each other about them and joke about them. But unfortunately today, and those, those things are fine, but unfortunately today, there are some that are wanting latitude to change some of those core essential things. And at the same time, claim we can have unity over them. I think scriptures are, are, are quite clear. You can't have unity in the church when there is vast disagreements over core doctrinal issues. We cannot have unity in a church, for instance, with people who do not recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. We cannot have unity in a church and say it's okay to have differing views over how people are fundamentally saved. You can't have unity in the church when you have some who want to say, no, Jesus didn't suffer and die for sins. He just was a good moral teacher. Just can't have. That is too much doctrinal impurity for there to be a unity in, a, in the church. So the unity of the church is connected to the purity of the church. And uh, in particular, it's doctrinal purity. And then as well, it's moral purity. The moral purity of the church also comes into play. For this, I want to, to remind you of, uh, to have you go to a passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And actually, if you would, uh, as you're in 1 Corinthians 5, if you flip back a little bit to, to 1 Corinthians 1, Paul begins to uh, his letter to the Corinthians after his greeting and his thanksgiving for them. And he has a lot of issues that he has to deal with at the church of Corinth. But he begins by dealing with the issue of divisions in the church. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in verse 10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Of all the issues that he's going to deal with at the church of Corinth, he needs to address this issue of their division. And then he goes on and he says, you know, it's been reported to me by uh, Chloe's people that they are quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, quote, I follow Paul. Or, quote, I follow Apollos. Or, quote, I follow Cephas, which is a, a, another name for, for Peter. Or, quote, I follow Christ. So there were these factions in the, the group, or factions in the church. And then Paul wants to, to remind them in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He wants to address this issue of divisions and factions in the church. Yet, however, in the middle of dealing with this issue here in Corinth, and he goes on here and uh, addresses some of these things, something happens that's disrupting the moral purity of the church in chapter 5. So skip ahead to chapter 5. And he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And not only are they, church in Corinth, just kind of turning a blind eye to this issue. They're actually kind of boasting about it. Claiming some sort of freedoms in Christ enable them to do this. Because he says in the next verse, And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn instead of celebrate it? So notice what Paul says. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, to be clear here, who he is referring to here. He's referring to somebody who has professed faith in Christ, who have admitted their sins and claim Christ as their savior and then have now resolved to turn away from Christ, been baptized in Christ, and then for some reason now feel like it's okay to do, to engage in some, some sexual activities that not even the pagans would engage in. And Paul's response is that person needs to be removed. Removed from the church. Verse 3. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit and as if present, I, am, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, it's a question here. What does that mean to be delivered over to Satan? Maybe that's just a way of describing what it's like to be handed, to be taken out of the exclusive church community and then to be kicked out of it, to have no longer any fellowship there. This is very similar to what Paul is writing about in in Titus chapter three for those who are causing divisions. Warn him once, warn him twice after that, have nothing to do with him. My, my point in bringing up this passage here is that Paul, chapter one, begs and pleads, you guys, stop your division, stop your division, stop your fighting, stop your fighting. But then in chapter five says, moral purity of the church cannot be sacrificed for the sake of purity, the unity of the church. The unity of the church depends not only on doctrinal more, uh, purity, but moral purity as well. And so this is why it is so vitally important for us to understand that in order for us to have unity in our church, we need to be unified together around the basics of the gospel, the sound doctrinal teaching. But also, 
also, brothers and sisters, that we be a place that is morally pure too. That we are a people who is putting to death the deeds of darkness. That we are to be cutting those things out of our lives. And those are ways we can fight for the moral, for, fight for the unity of our, of our church and our church community. I had a great quote to end, but it is lost wherever my notes are. So um, I will send it to you. I will send it to you. But with that, let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this, this letter. We thank you for all of, of your scriptures, for how they speak to us. But we thank you for this letter of, of Paul to Titus. We're grateful for this past several weeks to be able to work through this passage and to, to study it. And God, we pray that, that all that we have learned, you would put into, into practice in our church life. May your word be fruitful in us. Not only us individually, but us as a church community as well. God, we do want to lift up uh, the many prayer requests that, that we have in our church community. And uh, in closing, I do want to, to pray for, um, for Mark Prime and the diagnosis that he has received this past week. With the, the rectal cancer. Um, God, even though they're, they're no longer part of this church community, we, we do love them as, as, uh, as a brother in Christ. And he and Chris as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just want to lift them up uh, now as they are facing an unknown and uncertain future. We pray, God, for... Uh, your guidance as the they continue with more tests and more courses of treatment. And uh, God, we pray for Mark that you would give him the physical energy and strength to endure. Um, and God, we pray that you lift up their family uh, in this time. And God, you know the many other prayer requests of uh, of this church community and we present them all before you we pray this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said amen and amen uh, brothers and sisters let's stand for our closing benediction A reminder, they're offering uh, boxes at the table. If you have any other prayer requests or you have any questions, um, you know, I'd love to have you come up and see me uh, here at the end of the service. Now, uh, our closing benediction.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.